Everybody, 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 drop your stop, 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 I came home from the Manhattan School of Music with Beethoven's concerto still ringing in my ears. Welcome back to Drop Your Buffs. <laughs> I'm Sean Ross. I'm Evan Ross Katz. And we're here talking, and just like that, episode three, chapter three. What I would not do <laughs> to read Carrie Bradshaw's memoir question mark, because if the husband is dying in chapter three, mm-hmm. one would think that she had a whole lot of life crammed into chapters one and two. So, and maybe maybe I've missed this and this was revealed last season, but like, is this a grief memoir? And even if it's specifically a grief memoir, we're already at the husband dying in chapter three. Where are we at with like chapter nine? Well, it could be more of a pamphlet. Uh-huh. Uh, it did look like a thick book, though, on her. It looked her thick. Head. Five days of recording. <laughs> yeah, but she was only planning on two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How did that work? Were they, <laughs> they were like, Carrie, it's going to be two, and then she like she just misheard. Um, also, I got to say, as someone who recorded a book for 10 days, five seems easy breezy. Yeah. Well, she's a professional. She is. New York Times bestseller. Yeah. So let's start by just doing some table setting here to ask, you know, last week was sort of like you getting a feel for the universe of And Just Like That. Uh So in many ways, this is sort of like you settled in, you've now met all of the new cast members, you understand the world of And Just Like That a little bit (laughs) more. The twisted world, the (laughs) twisted world of And Just Like That. Yeah, so how did you feel, you know, going into episode three and then how did you feel coming out of it? I... I was actually kind of excited to watch episode three. A crazy thing happened, though, because these are dropping at midnight. And so I woke up real early this morning to go and boot up episode three so we could talk about it. And I clicked play. I clicked play on the episode at the exact moment my power went out. And I thought that the episode did it. I thought this the breaker was like the the load is too heavy here mm-hmm. to watch and just like that three uh so episode three so anyways got the power back on uh but it felt like an ominous sort of like moment for me uh but i have to say once i got through the episode the, i really felt comfortable here i felt really comfortable in the world of and just like that and the twisted mind of carrie bradshaw and there were some funny moments and there were some tender moments. Like, I think that, you know, when Carrie's reading and kind of breaks down, I, like, I was a little emotional. Absolutely. I mean, she's gone through something really traumatic. I will say it was it was surprising Carrie's arc in this episode only because so much of the first season of Van Just Like That was Carrie working through her grief. And it was sort of message that this season was very much sort of about you know, her reacclimation to joy. So mm-hmm. this felt a little bit like, oh, we're back in the grief. That said, as someone who is 
in the thick of grief myself, I understand that there are waves, right? So it's not as though like one day suddenly the grief is gone and you move forward. So there is something true to life about this regression. Also, it being brought on by the fact that she is forced professionally to relive, you know, uh-huh. this circumstance that happened to her. Um, but I was surprised just that like Carrie's plot was back in the grief and then like home alone, faking COVID. Um, felt a little season one of and just like that. Uh, mm. But, you know, I think this was, it felt like to take a theme from the episode, it felt like a closing of a chapter. I did think that it was funny that, I mean, tell me if this came up in season one, but that we went for the first two episodes where she has this hugely successful podcast, which just ends uh, because she, she won't read an ad. And then suddenly she's got a book. Was she, did she always, did she, was she working on a book in season one? Yeah. So Carrie has written books before. That's Sex in the City. I did know and that. then yeah. and then in season one, she's approached to write this this me- again, mm. I'm not sure if it's memoir or a grief memoir, but yeah, she that that all that all transpires in season one. In theory, uh again, not to pull the I've written a book card, but like I was able to have a full-time job and write a book on the side because you're given lots and lots of time, typically, to write a book. So I would think that she's fully capable of, I don't know, I, I, I don't know if she wants to go back into podcasting or what, but I am curious if we're going to explore it all, Carrie's professional life moving forward, because in theory, the book is out, right? Or the book is coming out. It's about to come out. It's, yes, it's yes, about to come out. It's available but like, for pre-order. Right, but once she finishes, <laughs> but once she finishes recording the audiobook, her duties are done with regard to like... Well, she'll need to promote it. Yeah, you're right. And she's got that Instagram account for sure. She's holding up the vegan purse. But I'm curious about if we're going to explore it all Carrie's life now that she no longer has the column. She no longer has the (laughs) podcast. She, I mean, maybe she's got another book in her, but then like, what's the book about? It is funny, but I kind of appreciate it about this show that like, we literally torpedoed her professional life at the end and her, you know, sexual relationship, tryst, whatever that was. And then like with episode three, it's like no looking back, only moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, truly. I mean, I'm not surprised based no. on the few episodes of Sex in the City I've seen that this right. is the way the show operates. Then that's or fine. like uh, with Naya, it's like last episode, yeah. we left her where she's like destroying Andre Rashad's guitars and then this episode, she's suddenly participating being interviewed in for... a documentary about <laughs> the legal system. Yes, and then like <laughs> falling in love with the sound, yeah. um, which, like, on the one hand, good for her. However, like a twenty-five I'm... year relationship has come to an end, right? But she's just like you know, she's got a hot mic. Yeah, she's uh, like, so who's on the milf list? Right, who's on the milf list? Uh, I wonder though, are we going to see Toussaint again? That was the gentleman that approached her in the first episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, not gonna hold my breath. <laughs> I'm not either, but you know, I'm just wondering. It's so know. these episodes are. It's so funny in 2023 to see a show that is so episodic. I mean, yeah, of course, there's storylines to carry over, but not so much. Not as many as you would think. No, this show wipes its hands clean <laughs> after every episode and resets. There is something um, refreshing about that as a new viewer jumping into the middle of it. It's like, I, I don't, there's not like 
decades and decades of lore that I need to be aware of. Absolutely. No, I mean, I feel like it's one of those shows that it has this rich context, but you can also remove it entirely. And it's still, I was going to say makes sense. I don't know if that's the phrase because none of it ever really Mm. makes sense, but that's kind of part of how it's best enjoyed. Um, to look under the hood is not, you know, always essential so long as the car <laughs> car keeps moving, question mark. <laughs> yeah. So we have Carrie at the start of this episode. She's traipsing down the street and she bumps into Lisette, uh, which I guess you would have learned by the end of the episode is her downstairs neighbor. Um, what was your initial, what are your initial thoughts on Lisette, a character that, I will say, I'm not sure I needed more of. So is Lisette a Sex in the City character or an Just Like That character? Decidedly an Just Like That character. Yeah, she looks very young. Yes. And I thought at first, how are they friends? Not that we can't have friends of different ages, but I, was, I thought it was curious. Uh, and then the way they were talking, I thought, so is Carrie, Carrie moved, I thought, from her famous from her famous apartment and of and sex of sex in the city. No, she is back in the apartment. From oh, sex it's the, the same city. apartment. Yes. Sorry. So she moved in with big mm-hmm. into like a multi-million dollar condo. Mm-hmm. And then she, she held on to the apartment. Well, I think I'm we gonna, talked about this. Actually. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say too, the apartment she's in is also, <laughs> Uh, multiple million dollars. Yeah, sure, <laughs> so sure. she's just, she's living large. But yes, uh, uh, I think we were made to understand and in just like, in the first season of Van, just like that, that she had kept the apartment. I don't know what, if it was just sitting there. I'm not sure what state it was in, like if it was being rented out or whatnot. But it, it yeah, she originally was looking for new apartments. So she was going to move from the apartment that she shared with Big to another one. And then all of a sudden it occurred to her that like she wanted to go back to where she belongs, which is the original Sex and the City apartment. We don't know how long Lisette has lived in the building. So like there's a world in which like they've been neighbors for years, but we very much were like introduced to their dynamic in the first season. Like they met one another. Um, So I guess it's to believe that Lisette is like new to the building. Um, I would love to know how Lisette has the money to afford the first floor of an Upper East Side brownstone. Um, well, what is her job? Is she a jewelry designer or is that not her job? Is she putting on the show? That's a good question. I'm sure the answer was made clear in season one. She's a character that I didn't choose to touch right. down on and feel in this instance forced to. Of their initial meeting, the distance between them was striking. Um, you, If you run into a friend on the streets of New York, it's not, well, I was gonna say, it's not uncommon. That's one of the the strange things about, despite the fact that the city is so large, you can bump into people. But I would kind of go in for a hug, or at Mm -hmm. least, I don't know, at least go in for it, right? Like, I I found that to be a sort of strange interaction. Um, And I wasn't quite sure what we were doing with this, but apparently this scene was to establish the fact that Carrie had a plan later that would need her to be out of the house. That was what that scene was uh, yeah. for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was. 
For sure. And I gotta say, Lisette delivers the line where she says to Carrie, I thought you only existed in the vestibule of our apartment building. And then Carrie like, er, uh, and then, wait, was it? No, Carrie says that to Lisette, sorry. And then Lisette like kind of does like a laugh. That's kind of rude. It is rude, but also I just, and this happens a lot on then just like that, but I also think it's a common trope in television where like a character says something that's like not funny <laughs> and the other character like laughs, but like, not in a indulging them in a very, like it was genuine. It was a genuine response. And it's sort of like, again, your reaction right there where like, well, I actually like see you all the time or I I don't know. I just feel like there's a lot of like, I, yeah, I have a life. Yeah. Live in my apartment 24 seven. Yes. I want more just sassiness instead of just, (laughs) yeah, no, I don't just exist in the vestibule. (laughs) So it would be like, yeah, well, we can't all live the retired life, Carrie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know. Carrie and her her big, big Bergdorf Goodman Hall, which we'll get to. Now, she says, she being Lisette says, I'm here watching them set up the party tents for my jewelry show. And then we have Carrie <laughs> saying a line that does not at all feel forced. Hey, you're one of Bulgari's three new designers to watch. Um, I'm unfamiliar with this sort of like these pop-up trunk shows in Bryant Park sponsored by Bulgari, which is its own brand. Why would they be funding uh, other designers that aren't Bulgari designers? It was all very strange. Um, But then after seeing, you know, where all of this led to later, uh, strange was just the beginning because it goes from strange into fever dream, um, which we'll get, which we'll get to later. But, uh, that jewelry uh, show was was quite the affair, uh, guns and all. Yeah. <laughs> I will say in this moment, though, one of the most redeeming parts, when Carrie starts to walk away and Lisette calls out her name and Carrie does the turnarounds, there is just something, and I do think this is the part of the end, just like that conversation that gets a little lost in the sauce, about Sarah Jessica, that she's just perfect when she turns around (laughs) it feels like cinema yeah i love watching her do things and it reminds me of the early sex in the city where it's just she has these quirks i remember like a big thing with carrie in sex in the city is her licking her lips and there are just all of these i guess you could call them idiosyncrasies but they're not that idiosyncratic they're very it's very normal behavior people have their name called out and they turn around but there's just something about the way she turns around that i was just like there she is that was my like as soon as she turned around i was like that's carrie and it made me excited because i like seeing her i felt like this was carrie's episode like yeah i like really really enjoyed everything from carrie including I, I I know it's like really dated, but the COVID jokes, like I was laughing. They were funny. When she's at the show and yells, I have COVID because she doesn't want to help anybody like with this, with this burglary. I thought that was, that was high comedy. I, I don't disagree. <laughs> um, yes. And um, I feel like it needed a punch up because it needed the reaction from everyone in the room, like screaming and running away. It kind of did. They kind of had that. I feel like I think it needed to be amped up because it's like they were going for a really broad joke. And I feel like you. But 
I I just think it was funny because it was like (laughs) Carrie had been living this lie for so long to get out of something. And then here she is in a really serious situation that she shouldn't be in or like needs to get out of. And she reverts back to this silly lie that she came up with. There was just something and I just felt like the face and the eyes like it was perfectly nailed for me. We do love the face. Uh, yeah. SJ is uh, one of our preeminent uh, comedic actresses. Or actors, period. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I definitely, Carrie had a fun arc during this episode. And it's funny because I, I mentioned up top, I was like surprised that we did the regression to grief. But as you're pointing out, it's like, we came out of the grief by the end of the episode. Uh, she was having a good time, maybe too good of a time, because our girl got COVID. Um, but... <laughs> But we'll 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 come back to to that party in a bit. But let's go over uh-huh. to Seema and oh, this sure. Birkin plot yeah. line. Yeah. So Seema, first of all, I gotta say, everyone uses their phone so much on this show. Which I is mean, life. Mm, yes, but considering that Sex in the City was a show so devoid of of telephones. And I know you could say, well, cell phones didn't exist when Sex and the City first aired, but even the amount of like, I don't know, it just wasn't a very phone show. And so when Carrie uses a cell phone in the film, it's like such a thing, because it's like, oh my God, seeing Carrie on a cell phone, there's just something about this show, whether it be Miranda being telephoning Carrie or Charlotte from, from LA, or they have a whole plot point where like, Miranda's having trouble with her cell phone and like goes to the store mm-hmm. to like get it fixed. I was like, I don't need this. Then we have the phone business at the show with Miranda mm-hmm. and, and just phones, phones, phones. Then we have like Seema getting a text message from Carrie revealing that she's got COVID. Phone, 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 phone. Anyway, so Seema's on the phone as she's wont to do and a mugger comes and steals her Birkin in broad daylight. I do want you to know, Sean, this is a plot point that we have done on Sex and the City, um, where Carrie is approached in an alleyway, (laughs) and Uh a mugger comes up with a gun and tells her to take off her shoes and runs away with her shoes. It's a very famous scene from Sex and the City. So this felt like a familiar beat. And then you have Seema running down the street after him, and she's like, why is no one reacting? Which is very New York. You know, New Yorkers are Uh in their own world. But then she runs into these dogs and then just like abandons the chase. And it's like, keep, I would keep going until he's like completely out of eyesight. I just was surprised that these five dogs were the thing that like made her say, all right, I'm giving up on my $35,000 Birkin. Yeah, I'd be running. But it's, this is Seema we're talking about. Right. And then she calls Carrie and it's like, call the police. A cab, but call the police when it comes to yeah. if if you're of the of the wealth status where you're having your Birkin stolen and your first thought is to call your friend, yeah. um maybe you deserve it. If you're of that stolen. status, you're calling the cops. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that They're, was yeah, you surprising. Have a relationship with the cops. There was something that about that scene where like I guess it was one of those things, it's very and just like that, where it felt tonally unsure (laughs) because it's like on the one hand she's like a woman being mugged in broad daylight and Mm -hmm. no one's reacting there's something really like scary about that but then it felt like it was like being played for laughs and then her reaction to it was like very yeah it was over the top but not over the top to the point of being comedic 
but yeah, then it didn't and feel then, like, serious. The, dri- the driving in the cab, or what I was in a cab, but like her her private car, or whatever. Yeah, smoking out the back, just like hoping to catch a glimpse of the Birkin on the street. Yeah, which like she's an which, old Hollywood <laughs> starlet. Which later on she will catch a glimpse of yeah, the Birkin. She will. Oh, which, she will. <laughs> and hey, we'll get to that. But it reminded me of that last episode um, when Che revealed the fact that they. Uh, had this insecurity around their weight. And we talked about this in our recap where it's sort of like, I was unsure tonally if like Che was being serious or not. Mm-hmm. It like felt unsure. Like there was a tentativeness about, I don't know if it was the performance or the or, or the script or what, but there was that same quality here where I'm like, how are we the audience supposed to feel about this? Because Seema doesn't appear to be that distraught over losing $35,000. So then how are, why then should we feel distraught? Even though I think the intention is that like this character's really going through something traumatic, but like, is it traumatic? Is it traumatic? Like the thing is, I feel like they could have played this from a couple angles where there, there could have been like an eat the rich angle to this Mm -hmm. storyline. You know what I mean? Where it's Mm -hmm. like, it doesn't matter that Seema lost her Birkin. Like, in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter, right? right? Or we could have, like, I don't know, followed up with the mugger a little later on. Or I don't, like, in in some way that somebody runs into him and, like, there's, like, more to the story. Right. Um, I feel like th- this this really hit, like, two beats, this entire this story. She loses the Birkin and she finds the Birkin again. Right. And also, like, what are the chances that we have two thieves in this episode I know. Just, I know. Well, that's what I, th- I thought. I was like, oh my God, it's going to be, this is going to be the Birkin guy. Right. It's like, like you wanted that connective thread. Yeah, totally. He's going to be putting the jewelry into the Birkin or something. <laughs> the other thing, and again, I know I'm trying to like, this is all about suspension of disbelief versus, wait, suspension of, is it suspension of belief? Of suspension disbelief. of disbelief. Anywho, yes, it's all about that. But anyone in New York City that is of the, the, the mugger set is going to recognize that a woman of Sima's like walking around the Upper East Side with a bag on her arm, that bag is going to be of value. Sure, you could argue maybe he didn't know it was a Birkin, maybe he didn't know yeah. just how valuable, but you're not gonna like discard a leather bag. Also, there's not gonna be anything in the wallet. It's not the 90s. Hello. It's all There's about be cards the cards that are going to be can- right. canceled if, in if 20 If anything, minutes. it's like throw the wallet yeah. away <laughs> and grab the bag. <laughs> and then on top of that, it's like, and again, not to be like the Birkin police here, but you cannot go online and buy a Birkin. Well, that was my question. So she was looking for it on the secondary market. She oh, was like on the, was? the real deal. Oh God, was she actually? Uh, no, she wasn't. It was a different website. But I, w- I kind of wish she was on Yeah, I was like, deal. come on, continuity. <laughs> so it was $35,000 for, for a used Birkin. Was that the price? I think that, that was the price on the show, yeah, that they were okay. presenting. What's funny, too, and for those of us listening that are Sex in the City heads, the Birkin plays a really big role in season six of Sex in the City um, because Samantha... You remember her. Uh, mm-hmm. She really, really wants a Birkin. And there's a waiting list. And Lucy Liu pops up as Lucy Liu with a Birkin. It's, oh. So there's there's history here. We love the Birkin on Sex and the City. I just feel like this whole plot line was like either needed to be more grounded or like 
or more, less grounded. Or less grounded. <laughs> yeah, it felt like it didn't quite find its footing. And I still, I'm not sure how we're supposed to feel about Seema. Yeah, well, I know how I feel about Seema. <laughs> You're a nemesis. So we go back to the recording booth. We're with Carrie and we meet these ancillary characters, uh-huh. the two gentlemen that are behind the booth, who I I thought were interesting interesting right like i like the idea that they were like these aren't just going to be two nobodies were going to develop their their sensibility a bit and i like the fact that by the end carrie was kind of like in with them and they were rooting for her i thought that was cute but i gotta say and you know here we are recording a podcast they the guy comes the smelly guy comes in the booth (laughs) and he installs the mic cover Uh uh-huh and it's like we needed that mic cover from the start. Yeah, why wasn't that there? Yeah, like you are professional audiobook recorders. It's like even I know that you need a mic cover. <laughs> I just it's stuff like that where I'm like I know I'm being nitpicky and it's like what's the point? I'm almost like I'm boo boo the fool here. But I'm like it's stuff like that that I just don't quite understand. And then when he came in and again, nitpicking on nitpicking, but like he was like raising his arms almost like overtly so. Yeah. And again, yeah. I'm like, if we're going to make that joke, fine. But it's like it either needed to be more grounded or more in outer space because it was like just that awkwardness of like him raising his arm for the joke, but not out of any practical need to raise his arm. This is the thing. I got confused in that scene about what their complaint was about him because I th- I thought they were going to make fun of him wearing a mask. And I was like, mm, bold, bold, like and just like that. And uh, and then I was like, wait, are they saying the mask is stinky? Mm-hmm. And like, no, they, they're saying, I had to rewatch it like three times because I was like, I don't get the, I don't get the gag here. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit confusing. I would like that mask joke though, because, you know, we have that moment when they're at the real deal, Carrie and Charlotte in the last episode, when she screens the call from the Democrats. So I kind of do like this idea of like centrist (laughs) Carrie. Yeah. Where she's like, you know, strangely anti-vax or not anti-vax, anti-mask. So funny. (laughs) I would love that. Listen, an anti-vax plotline would be really, really fascinating. I forgot about the Democrats line. Yeah. That actually would be so good because it's so true of like getting older and like becoming more conservative and like we get a more conservative carry. And like that could, I mean, like I understand why they won't do that because they won't alienate like <laughs> their viewership. Right. But I feel like it would be such a gag, actually. Right. right. I also didn't get the whole like her really wanting the actress uh, to read the book. And then the Julianne Margulies <laughs> that it was like, I didn't, yeah. Yeah. Didn't, quite land anywhere for me and then they went ahead so she had covid and then so they went ahead and hired the actress but then when they moved the dates did they fire the actress that they had hired no they didn't hire an actress i thought when the thing but when she was on the phone i thought she said later in the episode that they had hired an actress no i no i think i like i could be wrong because i watched it once and you watched it four times. But (laughs) my impression was that she said, hey, like, you're going to need to get an actress, right? And then they said, no, we don't. Don't worry, because we've been able to get next week. And then she called up again and was like, hey, like, you know, maybe there's another Julianne. Or maybe, or did you get, did you get a Julianne? That makes sense. Yeah. 
So we also get Carrie walking down the street where she runs into Bitsy Von Muffling for context. So, yeah, so wait. <laughs> Bitsy Von Muffling? Yes. Okay. So and Bitsy, what's her story? So Bitsy is first introduced in season five of the show okay. uh, where all of the women head out to the Hamptons to attend the wedding of a friend of theirs named Bobby, Bitsy's husband played by Nathan Lane. And the whole joke is that Bobby is flagrantly homosexual, mm-hmm. and yet he is getting married to Bitsy. And so Bitsy is sort of, you know, this over-the-top Manhattan Upper East Side uh, socialite. She popped up in the very first scene of And Just Like That. The ladies oh. are going to lunch, and they run into Bitsy. So it's one of those sort of links to Sex in the City within And Just Like That. And obviously, they I, they must like working with, with the actress, Julie Halston. Anyway, so we have Carrie running into Bitsy here and revealing that she had a $100,000 facelift. Now, I have not had a facelift. Never say uh-huh. never. Uh, I didn't know that they were running into the six figures. Well, I, I think that you can pay whatever you want to pay for them. Sure. That wouldn't also surprise think me at all. Something tricky about this, and again, it's like, Evan, what are you digging for? But like, we've seen Bitsy before. In fact, uh-huh. we saw her last season, and she looks the same. So I feel like they should have made an effort to like, make her look a little crazier. Right, right, like I right. almost think it would have been funny if wonder. she was like two weeks out from the facelift and like still bandaged, but like had to have her mustache waxed. Like that would have been a funny bit. Yeah. But it was nice to see Bitsy. And I feel like it was sort of the thing that propelled Carrie to sort of come to this epitome by the end of the episode, which is that you don't have to, you can still be in grief and still living life. Um, I feel like Carrie like already sort of recognized that by the fact that she was like sleeping with what's his name in the last episode, but sure. It was a nice, yeah, Franklin, it was a nice (laughs) opportunity to touch down once again with Bitsy who spoiler alert will be coming back for episode four. I really liked the character of Bitsy. Bitsy's I fun. I really liked her. I was like, why is she not part of the friend group? Mm, I would really like that. Where would she fall on the MILF list? That's a great question. Now also, and, and this is a detail that I might have missed from season one, but I don't think so. I guess it's revealed in this episode that Bobby is dead uh, because, you know, she's connecting mm, yeah. with Carrie about their shared grief. And... I, that that's just so heartbreaking. I wanted more information <laughs> about that. He, I mean, you know, he was a one-off character, but a really beloved character. And you know, rest in peace, Bobby. Um, since we're bringing up people that have been on the show before, I want to ask you a question mm-hmm. because you posted your memes from episodes one and two on Instagram. Uh-huh. How'd you feel and- about that? <laughs> A lot, quite a bit of conversation going on <laughs> in the comments, and so I was perusing them just as, just for any nuggets that I might want to be aware of, mm-hmm. and I did find something really interesting, where uh, Alana underscore Jill underscore says, "Does anybody care that Seema's boyfriend is straight Prada guy?" Yeah, 
What does that mean? Does that mean that he's appeared in the Sex and the City universe before? He has appeared in the Sex and the City universe. In season six, uh, Carrie is dating a gentleman named Berger and takes him to the Prada store because she wants him to start dressing better because they're attending, I think it's like a film premiere. or They're going to some like red carpet event. And Carrie doesn't feel as though Berger is red carpet ready. And that actor plays the Prada store clerk. So it's not just that, sorry. It's not the same character, it's the same actor. No, but but the character that he played in the past had like a speaking role. I mean, yeah, he was the store clerk at Prada. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so no, it wasn't Carrie's like date. No. He was just working at the store. No, and famously, Justin Theroux appears in seasons one and two of Sex and the City as two different characters. So there is a okay. bit of... A precedent. There's, yeah, there's a bit of precedent here. Well, then, yes. then they add, Seema's dad is the lonely busboy at the restaurant when Samantha gets stood up. That is... He tried to kiss her. Also true. And you That's gotta wonder, wild. it's like, are these... I, well, well, let's let's just like let's suspend our disbelief for mm-hmm. a moment and imagine these are the same people. They're the same characters. Fascinating. Is that possible? It is. Oh, also, Andy Cohen famously appears in season four as an attendee at a gay club, and then pops up again in season six as a shoe store clerk. And so, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of. Is it I would just love if Carrie was like, God, I recognize you, like. Yeah. Even if it's just like a brief moment of just like, you look, like even just a double take. Yeah, totally. You look so familiar. Yeah. That would be really fun. Yeah. It's kind of like, do you know Sweeney Todd? No. It's kind of like how the beggar woman is like, (laughs) sees Sweeney and is like, don't I know you? And it's like, yeah, you know him. It's your ex-husband. Anyway, or or husband, (laughs) rather. Anyway. So then we jump to Naya, who is making this Uh documentary uh, well, actually, She's Lisa Todd Wexley, yeah, Lisa's making the documentary, the documentary that uh, was famously footage was lost from, so LTW decided to get an eight, eight minutes of uh, Cuntinilingus in episode one prior to the Met Ball that we did not see. But this is the documentary that is in production. Nia's asked to be involved, and we get this moment where, you know, the, the guy comes over, he's fishing her mic out, Naya's smitten, and he texts her. Yeah. I'm sorry, but that man is gay. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Well, maybe they can be besties. I'm sorry to Naya. Sorry, sorry to this man. Well, sorry to this yeah. woman in this case. Yeah, in this case. Yeah. Well, maybe... Okay, so this could be a plot point. They go on a date... She discovers he's gay. She sets Uh him up with Anthony. Yeah. Wait, why did Anthony say, I I don't know if this is just like dated language, but you know when in Anthony's one scene where he said something about how, uh, like I think that, uh, I think that Seema was telling him the story of how her Birkin was stolen. And he says, yeah, well, I had something. I can't remember what he had stolen. He said, I had something stolen by a trick one time. Mm -hmm. And... (laughs) Like, uh, because what is your understanding of what trick means? Just hook up? Well, it's kind of like, I think it's evolved in its meaning. Uh-huh. You're, I mean, I think at one time a trick was a prostitute. Yeah. 
But I think that it's kind of like my dad used to always be like. Well, like a trick was a trick. Sorry, the trick was like the client. Well, the trick, yeah, sorry, the client yeah. of the prostitute was the trick, yeah. yes. Uh, but this reminds me, like, my dad used to always say, like, I'd be, like, hanging out with a friend. He'd be like, oh, did you and so-and-so hook up? And yeah, then, like, yeah. meet up. But I was Parents like, dad, you like can't that. say that. <laughs> and so I feel like trick is, yeah. But it's also, like, I, I feel trick like Trick is such a specific word to say. It is, and I feel like Anthony would be a little bit more evolved in the yeah. mores of how language changes. What are we doing with Anthony, I sort of wonder? <laughs> Listen, this is funny because... Michael Patrick spoke. There's there's an ancillary podcast to and just like that. I don't know if you know this. Do you? Uh, yeah, I do because I was I was checking on how Drop Your Buffs is charting in the and just like that territory and like I have to say we're doing quite well. Okay, uh, but not as good as and just like that in the writers' room. Well, I get it's it. It's a great great <laughs> podcast. It seriously is, and it's really nice to sort of get a better sense of like the intention behind certain choices that were made because okay. even sometimes when they don't land, it's still. I find it insightful to understand like what they were going for. Um, and on that podcast, MPK talk, MPK is Michael Patrick King, the creator of And Just Like That. He talks about the fact that they had introduced a slew of these characters in season one of the show. And so they sort of felt like they had to see it through with some of them. You know, I'm thinking about like Lisette, for instance, the neighbor was introduced in season one. And so they were kind of like, well, she exists. What what would she be doing now? And that's why we're mm. sort of getting this Bulgari trunk show. And it's the same thing with Franklin, where, well, they kissed in the elevator in the season finale of season one. So let's see what would happen with where would that go? Where would their relationship progress? Which is why we brought him back for two episodes. <laughs> Never to be heard from again, I suppose. But with Anthony, he was this character brought in, I think it's season three of Sex and the City, as Charlotte's gay best friend. And he was very much like... Not a throwaway character, but just like he was just a bitchy gay guy. Like that was who he was. And then over time, they like tried to humanize him, which I think sort of <laughs> ironically flattened the character in a mm. lot of ways. And then now you have him on and just like that. And, and you should know that Anthony was married to Carrie's gay best friend, Stanford, the <gasps> one who's in Japan. They get what? together in the first movie. And then no. they get married in the second movie. No. And it basically, and they make a joke about this, but basically it was like, listen, there was nobody left, so the two of them got together, which is its own sort of <laughs> interesting thing to dive into. Um, but now that he's around right now, we get this scene where it's like, he's at lunch with Seema, and I'm just not understanding how we got here. It's like, yeah. I have a hard enough time accepting that Seema is now friends with, with Charlotte anyone. and Miranda, <laughs> your vendetta against her. But um, but I just was like, wait, so they're doing a lunch and it's Seema, Anthony, and Carrie? I was like, this trio, yeah. huh? Yeah. Just wasn't and sure about that. So Stanford and Anthony, his name's Anthony? Anthony, Anthony and Stanford, they broke up or they're doing long distance? This is the confusing thing. And like, I feel like it's a very like sensitive topic in that, you know, Willie Garson died during production yeah. of season one. And so obviously he was not going to be around, but I feel like the choice they made rather than just, I feel like they could have killed the character. Yeah. But I think because Big had died in episode one and Stanford's last appearance is episode three, it would have been 
almost too, too jarring to have the death of two hugely yeah. significant characters. And yet their workaround, which is that he goes to Japan and doesn't so much as say goodbye to Carrie, right. his best friend, who we meet in episode one of uh -huh. Sex and the City, is almost like more jarring than had he died because now we're led to believe he still exists. And then like Samantha, he's in Carrie's life through text messages or, you know, sending over a kimono from Japan. Yeah. I have a difficult but so, but, time. But like the con <laughs> like the idea is that he's still married to Anthony? No, they had broken oh. up. And I think that that was part of what led him to Japan was okay, him okay. sort of... He had to get out of the city. Yeah, resetting. Interesting. It is I do feel like they must maybe like missed an opportunity to have... I'm, I'm maybe I'm sure they've talked about this in the past, but to have this gay couple where like one work takes him to Japan and they're in an open relationship and they can have that. They can have their friend that's in an open relationship and like talk about the complexities of that. They could, I think. It, yeah. I mean, and that would be, that would be ripe territory. My only pause with that is my frustration about the fact that like Anthony is just meant to be yeah, a yeah, side character for Charlotte <laughs> yeah, and Stanford is meant to be a side character for Carrie. And right. I just don't, there's a lot of like, cross-pollinating now happening yeah. and, and it feels like a very blatant effort from the writers to say hey we have this plethora of characters now so we can do all of these different configurations and while I understand that intention and how it's like seemingly really fun right because they get to have all of these different dynamics at the end of the day like that table the brunch table for me is to be occupied by the four women the mm -hmm. fourth being Samantha and no one else. I can yeah. maybe do, you know, that little uh, that that little side chair for the purses. I I can maybe allow that, um, but I just have a hard time with the. I have a hard time alone with someone else being at the table, let alone the revolving the revolving chairs. I did feel like in this episode, if there's a hundred configurations that can be made up of with this cast, we hit ninety of them. Yeah, no, episode. we are like yeah. Yeah, all we need is like Harry to show up one day with the top hat from the Met Ball, and, and then we're <laughs> and we've we've completely closed the loop on that. Now let's get into the MILF plot line with Charlotte and LTW, which hmm hmm, you know, there's a lot of brouhaha over this film, No Hard Feelings, which we'll be discussing on Shut Up Evan. But part of the brouhaha around it is sort of like the ethical question of Jennifer Lawrence plays this 30 something and she's hired by the parents of a 19 year old to fuck their son. And like, you know, is that, you know, what's the moral boundary there? And then I'm thinking about this show in which you have these adult women in the hallways of a school district, like mm -hmm. openly fawning over mm -hmm. a high school student. That's a child. That's a child. Yeah. And then it's like never brought up as such. Like the Well, it is it is by the principal or whatever, but it's yeah, not in a, but... it's not in the way of like you're a pedophile. Yes, exactly. Which is very interesting considering the conversation that's happening around queer people and drag queens and trans people right mm -hmm. now, where it's like this is being taken very seriously by a certain faction of the country that the like that that queer people are predators. And here you have it's in and just like that, like that they're actually being predators in a way, in a way. Totally. And it's, it's a joke. Yes. It, was, it strikes me as odd. 
It was very odd. And then like the existence of the MILF list, I didn't understand. So like we're at this PTA meeting, it's being brought up and like, what what's the plan here? Are we are we trying to find the students that created it? Are, are they being suspended? Like, what is the business that we're working out? Oh, literally. Like, there's meeting after meeting. Yeah. Yeah, what, yeah, what is the agenda? And then the guy, when they're, later on, when we have, like, the second scene of this, and that guy sitting next to LTW, like, turns to her and is like, you two should be number one and two. It's like, again, that's, he's saying that as a compliment, but, like, that's super creepy. This is, in theory, the parent of another student at their school turning and saying, I think you should be number one on the mother's I'd like to fuck list. And LTW's like, thanks. And it's like, what the fuck? Oh, also, not to like, you know, (laughs) but like, there's that one mom, the really young looking mom, who is, sorry, way hotter, at least, than Charlotte. She looks cool. The fact that she, she is not, Top three on Carrie this list. needs to be friends with her. Yes. Yes. Not Lisette. So I thought that was a strange <laughs> plot line and I didn't really know what it was what what it was for. Yeah, was nothing this? came of yeah, it. Yeah, nothing really. came of it. It wasn't like yeah, there's a lot of things that nothing comes of <laughs> in this show. Yeah, there's a lot of things that nothing comes of. Um one of the things where something does come is the tattoo <laughs> that Miranda gets in Los Angeles, which again, that scene between her and the tattoo artist, it's like, is this, the, the tone is so strange. Like, for well, not only the tone, the hat that Miranda was wearing was also wild. Oh but it's my like, God. But yeah. it's like, where are we? It's like, are they like legitimately connecting as human beings when she sees the the tattoos of robots that he is suggesting to her? And she's uh-huh. like, is she like considering it? Because it's like, you needed the cutaway of her being like, what the fuck, dude? But like, it seemed like they were like connecting. That was very confusing. So Miranda's back in New York with tattoo. Brady comes it home. It also because, seemed like it seemed like she had a relationship, like with the tattoo artist. Yeah, like, like they were like developing. They yeah, it was like a nomenclature. Yeah. So then we get this call. Brady is, you know, completely falling off the rails because of his breakup with Louisa. Uh huh. So Brady's back in New York. Miranda comes to New York. I gotta say, when I heard the key turn on the door, I thought we were going to see Steve, and like I'm, I, I had full. <laughs> body chills um only to then have it be revealed that it was brady but i feel like we've got her back in the house and you know who else lives in that house steve so oh i feel like steve is coming and uh i cannot wait now remind me have you you have not met steve no okay see yeah but i have told you steve is i don't even know what he looks like he's hot I could walk by him on the street and I would never know it. I get it. Actually, I'm going to do a little spoiler here. <laughs> um, <laughs> when Steve does come back, um, his his re-entry into the show is capital H hot. Oh, okay. Yeah. And we'll leave it at that. Let's just say he's been going to the gym. Okay. He's been hitting the gym. But anyway, so it's 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 a relief to have Miranda back in New York because I feel like we squeezed all the juice out of the mm-hmm. Miranda doing phone calls to Carrie and Charlotte. Mm-hmm. It's like we needed to get our girl back. I also thought it was interesting 
in that big fight with Che that happens outside of the studio, they did pull what I thought was an interesting sort of twist in that you think they're going to have a big fight, break up question mark, and you know, then sort of have Miranda going back to New York, Che stuck in LA uh, taping their pilot. But instead Miranda says like, I don't want us to leave like this. And they actually like do leave on a better note than just yeah. them fighting. Like they genuinely yeah. have a moment of like, like Che says, like, I hope everything is okay with Brady. And there's no like addendum to that. It's just them saying, I genuinely want everything to be okay with your son. They don't yeah. kiss goodbye, but it definitely left in a, on a different beat than I anticipated that it would. I have to say, Che was being so unreasonable. Unreasonable. Miranda's like, my son is suicidal. And Che's like, you ruined the take. Yes. Now, <laughs> at the same time, I felt like Miranda needed to call Steve, who is in New York, uh-huh. and be like, I need you to go, like, find uh-huh. Brady. It's like, you have boots on the ground at home. And yes, I, I understand the impulse like to get on the next plane out. But I think in the immediate, if your son is acting the way Brady was... I would reach out to my husband, parentheses, question mark, um, and try and see if we can, like, tag team the situation. I thought that was really very strange. But, yeah, Che is just like, you ruined the scene. And it's like, really, the culprit here is BD, the asshole creator of this show. No kidding. in front of the entire studio audiences, it's like, my star can't act. Yeah. Sucks. And it's like, fuck you, BD. Literally. And also, the scene is so salvageable, it's, like, not even worth talking about. Because all that's missing is, like, one last shot of Che. Right. Like, to go to commercial. Right. I do have... And also, like, it's very normal to film a scene more than once. That's pretty standard protocol. And then splice together the best of all the scenes. I am curious to see if we're going to get more of Che Pasa. It was exciting to see that setup just because Michael Patrick King famously created The Comeback, which was a show all about the behind the scenes of of a sitcom. So I feel like he understands how to film this Uh type of thing better than anyone. It did. It did remind me of the comeback. Yeah. It was giving the comeback in terms like the energy, even that little beat with the policewoman when Miranda's walking out and the policewoman's like, you lied to me or whatever she says. Like I did feel like that scene was great. I didn't understand the umbrella person because I felt like that was supposed (laughs) to be like, there was a joke there that like felt like it was like missing. Totally. Totally. Cause like was the laugh line. I thought the joke was supposed to be that like, Che, how it has to always be tailed by somebody because they're the star mm. of the show. And Miranda's having this like hugely emotional moment and it has to be like in front of this like yes. for higher person, but that wasn't quite the beat. I it will say- It didn't actually matter that the umbrella person was there. Right. Um, I will say though, this was a great Cynthia Nixon scene. I loved the delivery of like, it's it's my kid. And I do love, like, that mama bear energy for Miranda, I think, is some of, like, that's some of my favorite qualities about that character is that fierce protectiveness. And it's not just with Brady. It's evident, you know, even around some of the fights that she has with Carrie, especially when she's when she's angry at Carrie for, for leaving to go to Paris. It's really about she has the best interests in mind of those around her. Her communication style can be lacking. Um but I, I just really that was a great, great moment for Miranda. How do you think how do you think this is all gonna work out for our little cannoli? 
It's so curious. It's also I, like... Like, the show can't be... It can't be picked up. Like, we can't have Che just on a show for the is, rest of the series. It is hard to know where we're going with this. <laughs> and then also, like, if they hired Che... It, think about this. Like, if it's, like, this big stand-up comedian and they're hired to do, like, a network sitcom, and, like, they're a comedian, so they write their own shit, it's sort of... Is is Chase strictly an actor on this show? But then it's like, don't you know that like you're not hiring the person for the thing that people love them for? Mm-hmm. It's like I very... mean, usually, usually the usually when a comedian is hired for a show, they're they're adding their own little flourishes, right. if you will, right? Like uh, Tim Allen in Home <laughs> Exactly, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, it's just a relief to have Miranda back in the city. But like you said, what is the fate of Che Passa? Are we done with LA for Miranda entirely? Mm-hmm. I feel like I am eager to see what's ahead for Miranda. And I'm not just talking about her relationship with Che, but more like I feel like we've been in this like, she left behind her life as a lawyer and as a heterosexual um, and sort of like blossomed and became this like new Miranda. But like now that new Miranda is not so new, then what? Because I feel like we just keep doing this like beat of like Miranda discovering the world, um, which is fine. Like that's, that's that's the road that she's taken or the character's taken. But like, then what? It's kind of like the same thing with Carrie. It's like, She's grieving, but now that, like, and, you know, as you said, grief is not a linear process, but, like, for the sake of a television show, it actually kind of, like, does have to be. Like, at some point, Uh the character has to be done with grief. And so it's just sort of like, yeah, what's the next thing? Also, touching out on Charlotte briefly, it's like we got this plot line with Lily last episode with her hit song about, you know, um, the Upper East Side. And then the kids are nowhere to be found in this episode. In fact, the entire plot line about this MILF list, never once do we see Lily or Rock, the people, the kids that go to this school in which the list is circulating. Because I thought they could have gotten a whole beat. I thought that Charlotte's kid, like, that, like, Rock, let's say, was going to be involved in the list. Right. Or there's some beat about them being like, Mom, like, you're number three. Like, there's there's some comedic beat there. um, But unexplored. (laughs) Well, I, I have a feeling, like, this would be really interesting. Let's say, like... Che's show fails. It airs the it, it it airs the pilot. The pilot doesn't get picked up for more. Whatever, however, whatever the terminology is there. Mm-hmm. But it's Miranda's child, this like nepo baby, who succeeds in show business, and then there's some like resentment between. I want to fight between Che and Lily. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's, so the, I'm just the gloves on. are off. Um, <laughs> I will just say, and I'm, I will, I'm not gonna watch. I watched episode four, and I'm gonna stop watching uh-huh. my screeners. I will just say that, like, what you and I are going to be discussing next episode with regard to Miranda and Shay, I'm like counting down the minutes. Like, what could happen? It's the wildest. Okay. And so I'm really. Looking forward to that next week. Now, before we go, let's touch down on our And Just Like That. Um, because And Just Like That, Carrie B uh, gets 
COVID. Um, and I thought that was a great payoff considering that we got so many instances, both verbal and through text message, of Carrie saying she's got COVID. Then we have the comedic beat at the Bulgari tent party show thing. And so I thought it was nice to sort of end on that much repeated beat that had been laid out throughout the episode. Totally. Yeah. Poor Lisette. Well, did you see the jewelry? It might have been a good thing that I was stolen. <laughs> yeah, I think starting from scratch isn't the worst thing for Lisette. No, I'm I'm wondering if we're going to see more of Lisette. I feel like this would have been this would be a great opportunity to sunset the character. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they just have, you know, their little uh, run-ins in the what is it called? It's not an atrium. It's a vestibule. Vestibule. Is that like the lobby? Yeah, it's like in a brownstone, there's like you enter. I mean, I think it's an atrium, really, but it's like you enter. There's the area when you first walk in the door where there's yeah. like the hallway. If you go left, you walk down a hallway into Lisette's. If you go right, you go up the stairs to Carrie's. Okay. But then again, too, it's like Carrie does not live on the second floor. I'm thinking about like instances in which she's been looking out of her window down at the street. And You'd say like third floor? Third or fourth even. Yeah. I feel like she's high up and I don't even know anything about the show. Yeah. She's a high up girl. Anyway, that is episode three. I think that we are, I was going to say we're cooking with gas. We're cooking. We're cooking with something. We're cooking with something. Um, yeah. But are you, are you coming back next week for four? Well, you've left me like, on an absolute cliffhanger here. So yeah, I'm coming back. And also, I'm just so happy that Miranda is back in New York City. So happy. New York City is back. Yeah. Because in theory, if Miranda's back, that means she's also back at the table. And if Miranda's back and Carrie has COVID, (laughs) then Miranda's running the show. Yeah, something tells me that uh, Carrie's COVID is not going to play a central it's role. It's going to be gone. It's going <laughs> to be four. forgotten faster than Franklin. Yes. Now, it's what's be, what's really it's funny? It's going to be forgotten faster than Sex and the City, the podcast. Hello. What's funny too is now Carrie actually can't finish recording the audio. Yeah. <laughs> like they are. It would be funny if they were like Julianne Moore. We brought Julianne Moore in. That would be incredible. See, that's the kind yeah. of shit I live for. Yeah. That's actually not crazy for Sex and the City to do something of that nature. But we're watching it just like that. Anyway, and just like that, we have come to the close of our third recap. Thank you so much for joining us. You can check out my memes. I will say this was a difficult episode to meme. Um, I was about <laughs> over halfway through because I try to be careful about like wanting to celebrate like some of the good, like I don't want all of my memes to be funny necessarily, but then I also like try, and also like sometimes I'm literally just captioning, other times I'm like adding a little bit of my own voice. So for instance, like I made a meme of Seema's line when they're at the Bulgari thing and, and the guy goes, miss, you can't smoke in here. And then she goes, yeah, like I'm the problem. Yeah. And it's like stuff like that where it's like, that's slick and like fun, blah, blah, blah. But I just, I was really looking for Che lines to meme and like just Che didn't really have no. any super memeable lines. However, I did find one that it's a little bit of a deep cut. I did a diptych of Che's line 
with something from Sex and the City that I think super fans of the show will hopefully appreciate. Okay, I'll be on the look at it. I'll be on the lookout for it. So with Drop Your Buffs, when we do a Survivor episode, typically we like to do a post and then we ask people to comment an emoji under the post. So why don't we get people who are listening to this to comment an emoji under the meme carousel post on at Evan Ross Cats for yes. episode three when it goes up. Okay, so I think we need to go with the purse emoji. Um, there is one that is sort of like tan that's as close to a Birkin as we're going to get. So in okay. honor of Seema's recovered Birkin, uh, please comment. If, if you are listening to this podcast, when I drop my episode three meme pack, please comment the tan purse emoji. Okay. There's no cannoli emoji. <laughs> I could have swore they added a cannoli emoji and I'm not seeing it. Oh. I, c- I can picture it. In my, you know, sometimes you think you, you, you can picture an emoji and then mm-hmm. that emoji doesn't exist. And you're like, well, where did that come from then? Not everybody can be an artist like me, especially Lisette. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this, please rate and review it. And you can follow us as in drop your buffs over on Instagram at drop your buffs pod. Okay. See you next week for episode four. The Miranda and Che episode. Oh my god. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.